Rejoice Bachelor Nation, a bachelor party is the podcast for you. Juliet Lippman is here to break down every detail and piece of drama from the latest episode of a Bachelor franchise. Joined by fellow superfans, members of Bachelor Nation, and Ringer colleagues, this is the one-stop shop for all your Bachelor needs. Check out Bachelor Party on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me on the other line, The Watch's foremost Chaucer expert, it's Andy Greenwald! That's probably true. Of the two of us? Of well, yeah. Kaya? I don't know if Kaya, our, our esteemed producer Kaya McMullen, I don't know how much Chaucer she crushed That's true. in her college days. I personally can't say I've ever cracked Canterbury Tales. Does watching Netflix's The Chair, which we're going to be talking about today, and, and make which you... Which Chaucer figures into, yes. We've just scared away half the audience. <laughs> does, that, does that make you want to get into it? I can't okay. say that it does. I can't I say that okay it does. Say no. if, I always just assumed that Canterbury Tales was like a bunch of people sitting around a campfire farting, but like because of its formal innovation was like, yeah, oh, but accurate. it's like, yeah, is it? That's that's accurate. I mean, there there are there are probably more specific ways to describe it, but that is not the worst way I've ever heard. Yeah. So I was wondering. I mean, Andy, we have a lot of stuff to get to. I want to talk we a do. little bit about a fall TV preview, somewhat of a fall TV preview with you. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wanted to find out how it was. You know, because not a lot of people had the courage to do this, but you saw Free Guy three times this weekend. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty cool, and I wanted to know if maybe you'd give us a preview of your uh, sick sick free guy easter eggs youtube video explainer that you were gonna do three guy <laughs> three guy <laughs> that's right but um yeah like before we get into the fall tv and before we discuss the chair yeah. which is on netflix and the entire season is up now it's six episodes 30 minutes each i thought we could just have a little general chit chat about about what we've been enjoying recently how are we how we spent our weekends I'd love to. I want to say that one of my favorite occurrences happened this weekend where my good friend chris and people don't realize this about us this isn't this isn't for show mm -mm. you know what i mean like our relationship isn't just for the gram. You know what I mean? We are not TikTok influencers. Like, we, we, we stay, the lines of communication stay open to the point where, and I love this, I treasure this. Like, mm. if it's like at 2.30 p.m. on a Wednesday, I might get a text from my guy being like, how are you? How's yeah. your day? Like, it's really <laughs> nice. That said, the occurrence that happened this weekend is one of my favorites, which is, I'm like, Chris, how are you doing this weekend? And you're like, oh, I did these things and I met this guy and I might have dinner here. And then you ask, What'd you get up to this weekend? And my head falls into my hands. And I'm like, Chris, on Daddington Island, weekends are not full of adventure or possibility. They are wars of attrition, you know, with wonderful moments along the way, like all wars, you know, very memorable moments. The relevant piece of information was not that I saw uh, Free Guy, but that my the other three members of my family did go to the cinema. Oh, yeah? To see Paw Patrol the movie. I'm still hearing about it. I mean, yeah. to hear a four-year-old describe it, I, 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 did you remember like going to science museums and they're like, Mr. Thomas Edison shows a grown man electricity and the old man like weeps, knowing <laughs> that like, the world is so much more vast than he ever thought. That is my four-year-old's reaction Wait, was that like to the a, Paw like Patrol. You, was there like a short film at a museum you saw that Yeah, that I happened? feel like Franklin Institute or like Ben Franklin touches the kite and everyone's like, everything's different now. Like that's... Right. right. 
That's what my four-year-old feels after watching the Paw Patrol film, just in terms of, you know, the universe expansion. It's kind of like how you felt after Newsroom. It's exactly like, I mean, this is, again, yeah. this is why our relationship can't be replicated in an al- algorithm, right? Like, for people who don't know, Paw Patrol is an absolutely fucking infuriating series about a weird, rich preteen who spends his time and fortune grooming six puppies who also talk Mm -hmm. and outfitting them with incredibly expensive tech and gear to do things like rescue animals on a farm that are in peril. From like and animal cruelty or from like a, no, a, a tornado? Like maybe or? there's a hole and something <laughs> fell in the hole. And it's just like, I'm going to need the dog with the construction truck. And it's all just a psyop to you sell know what? This is trucks. what's wrong with this. This, uh, this participation trophy society where we're just helping <laughs> animals out whenever but, there's a hole around. I mean, what are we doing? I mean, I feel like animals have figured out the whole issue for right. millennia. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? But Chris, there is an element of like, you know, bedrock American bootstrapism because the animals are doing it for themselves. Gotcha. Like, yeah. the Paw Patrol are, they talk and they drive, but they are also animals. But anyway, finally, there's a movie that gives us the origin story of Chase the Cop Dog, and <laughs> they move from their relatively bucolic, if, you know, hijinks filled life in Adventure Bay to Adventure City. Uh-huh. In the, um, this is in the movie? or This is this in the movie. Is, okay, and so but now you, you have not feel, seen. This is just being synopsized for you by your four-year-old. I'm just saying, like, the storytelling possibilities in the Paw Patrol universe are huge now, now that they're in a big city, to hear her tell it. So that was exciting in that I missed it and I didn't have to go. But kudos and salute and solidarity with all parents who did have to go or sit through it on Paramount+. Plus. Um, I did have a couple other things I wanted to recommend Okay. on this podcast. Do, do you have any, Chris, do you have any questions about Paw Patrol? Like, do you want to talk about that more? Nope. I got to tell you, I don't. It's just like one of those things where it's like, there are certain things I feel compelled to be a part of, you know, maybe yeah. I got to, got to figure out what's happening with these Eternals and these, these, these deviants totally. and, and these Celestials. I, I got to draw a line somewhere, man. No, I, listen, I get it. And I, you know this, like I am a big fan of uh, parenthood and of my children. Like I think it was a, it was a good, good move, mm-hmm. but there are things that I, that I miss and generally, those can be grouped into two categories. One is the ability to do things when I want to do them. And two, sweet, sweet fucking ignorance of Paw Patrol. Yeah. Like, like those I, are the two. It's, it, life's full of trade-offs, right? I, yeah. as of now, do not yeah. have that feeling where my life has purpose, mm. where this hole inside of me is now filled with love for another mm-hmm. human being. But mm-hmm. the trade-off is that I don't need to know about Paw Patrol. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a, it, this is a real dilemma um, because I can see the benefits on both sides. Yeah. Uh, it, have you ever considered taking on a ward like Bruce Wayne? Oh, uh, that's a good question. You know, at times I have. I, I would want to jump st- like because like I am now like yeah. behind my friends. They all have had, right. you know, like so like I feel like I would almost want to slingshot past everybody. That's what I'm saying. Not, a, like, not. I'm not saying adopt a child. I'm like saying a, take on a war. Can I get like a ten year old toolsy third baseman? This is, you know, I feel like we've had this conversation before. Maybe yeah. on the old Hollywood Perspectives Pod, and I do think that your go to is that you just want a, you just want an athlete. I want a prospect. Yeah, you want a prospect like a five tool child. Yeah. And maybe he tops okay. out at double A. I'm not looking at it as like a, uh, I don't want right. financial return off of that. I you just know, think it would be cool. Double A is nothing to sneeze at. Like that, that's real pitching. You know what I mean? Like that's <laughs> what really separates. So I, I hear you on that. I, if, you, if I could indulge you and in our audience for just one brief moment and, I, and stay on, on Daddington Island, there is a really, really special show on Netflix that I want to give people a heads up about. And this is one of those rare things that I think is worth it even if you do not have children or wards or toolsy <laughs> hot corner prospects that sleep on the your next couch Brooks Robinson. And, and then call you and call you pops. Um, there's a show that premiered earlier this year on Netflix called City of Ghosts. It was created by an animator named Elizabeth Ito. And it is really, truly incredible. It is, I mean, obviously a little biased because it is about Los Angeles, the city where you and I both live. And it's a show that is really like, 
a really interesting animated combination of like photorealist backgrounds with kind of blocky CGI. But the, the show itself has an extra layer because the characters are often filming with like analog video cameras. And it's about oh. four kids who are like a ghost squad. And they learn about Los Angeles through the discovery and communication with ghosts. And it is just never talk about death. It is in no way scary. But the kinds of things they unearth are the kinds of things that people, I think all curious people, the kind of questions they have about the cities they live in, which is what used to be here. So like in one episode, a woman is opening a Asian fusion restaurant in Boyle Heights, which is a neighborhood in East Los Angeles. And the restaurant is haunted by a ghost. And we learn about what used to be on the spot of this. Or it's an episode when a skate park in Venice, and you learn sort of about the history of skateboarding in Venice, and an episode about indigenous people who once lived in Los Angeles, and an episode about Koreatown. Do they have an episode and, about the 405? And they're like, you know what used to be here? <laughs> Traffic. <laughs> it's still here. Yeah, well, no, that's often that's when on the 405, forward. I'm like, it, it, maybe, maybe we're all ghosts. Maybe we're all dead. We're just, just sitting that, in this. That, that is a very specific <laughs> Los Angeles feeling that, as of yet, is not been voiced uh-huh. by these children. But just, just I, a thought. I'm just throwing ideas up on the whiteboard. There's no shame in that. <laughs> yeah. First of all, but I, I I just think it's a really beautiful, gentle, interesting show. Like they don't there aren't, there aren't actors doing the voices, so people talk like people and talk like kids, and it's a really a wonderful show if you have children like ages four and up. But you know, this is the kind of thing, Chris, where you and I don't know Bryce. What, what's his name? <laughs> yeah. The, your your large adult not quite sun. Yeah. Like you guys, you guys could watch this and maybe get a little misty, but then like, you know, uh, clear your throat and like go take a walk in the backyard. So you don't actually have to deal with the emotions, but like, I, I it's a great show. I just wanted to throw a little light on it. I like that. I like, that's a good, that's a good random recommendation. Um, should we start talking about fall TV or did you, did you have anything else from the, from the chamber that you wanted to let out for people? Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. I came in, I came in with a, with a laundry list. Quick two things. Listeners know Chris and I, we love the criterion channel. I, I, I even got a chance to to make a, a Criterion commentary track for Visions of Eight, which is now streaming on the Criterion channel. You can hear me and Sean and Amanda and our commentary on on this that amazing documentary, which is about the Olympics, I believe. Yeah, right, that's right. Which, that's that's awesome. And people streaming diets, their budgets are you know uh, stretched, but it's such a great investment. But this particular month, I wanted to call attention to it before we ran out of August. There's a collection on there, and this is one of the great things about it. It's the movie cycle on and off the service, but they're often curated into collections. And there's a collection on there called Neo Noir. And like every movie I've ever loved is in this collection, plus things I've never heard of that I'm already figuring out and starting to discover and loving. So movies like Robert Altman's Long Goodbye, Chinatown, um, Night Moves, one of the great Gene Hackman performances from the 70s. Body Heat, Body Double, uh, Stephen Frears is the hit. Michael Mann's Manhunter mm-hmm. uh, is on there. Just all terrific movies. Blood Simple, Coen Brothers' first movie. Just great movies by masters. Just super vibey. Um, but it's been also fun to discover movies on there that maybe didn't quite break through and maybe for probably good reasons. So I did spend some time this weekend not watching Free Guy and watching a movie called The Bedroom Window, which is uh, directed by Curtis Hansen in 1987. Oh, is this the Steve might- Gutenberg movie? So you, you don't step on it. This is the thing. So Curtis Hansen, you know, one of the, I think one of the great just he knew what he was doing filmmakers like from the 80s on he made LA Confidential uh he made 8 Mile he made um In Her Shoes which is a really good movie actually and he made the uh Hand That Rocks the Cradle I believe Mm -hmm. was his but almost as a dry run for that period of success he made this extremely indebted to Hitchcock movie called The Bedroom Window which is a really cool premise about a couple having an affair who witness a crime but in order to protect the woman from having to admit having the affair the guy who lives in the apartment pretends to have been the witness and hijinks ensue. And the woman is played by like the goat actress, Isabelle Huppert. Great character turns from people like Wallace Shawn and Carl Lumbly and Elizabeth McGovern is in it. And all of it is working, except at some point the studio was just like, Curtis, we love your vision. Like we, we too are cinephiles and love Hitchcock. And you've got the great dame of French acting here. What do we need? What is this? What is this spicy pie need? The police academy guy. It needs the guy from Police Academy. Well, I guess he was a diner lead. too. I mean, Gutenberg had a minute, like a little. Yeah, he had three. He was one window. of the three men with the baby. That's true. He, there's nothing wrong with him. He's like he's a bright, charismatic comic presence. But it's super. It's just a little jarring for Isabelle Huppert to be like Terry, Terry. I love you. You are so compelling. I've never met a man like you. And you could just 
picture somewhere in the background the beatboxing guy from the Police Academy movies just <laughs> laying down like a slap bass That's soundtrack. Right. But anyway, it's, it was thrilling to watch. Those things are fun. I, I'll save the next recommendation for next week because we have fall TV to talk about. Well, and, I mean, uh, I, I, I think that what we're chair. doing here is we're challenging everything we ever learned from uh, from journalism school. It's like they always say oh. put the most important stuff up top. But you no, and I are who like... Sa- who said that? <laughs> I, Bob Woodward? First, I don't know. <laughs> first of all, we never went to journalism school. So joke's on you. I did, I did a semester at Temple. I did one semester of J school at Temple. So I got that going for me. Um, what, 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 what did you learn there that you put into practice? That I didn't want to be a court reporter. <laughs> or that I didn't have the discipline to do that. Andy, I wanted to talk to you about Fall TV just because, so we obviously, that we got a, a month at least of when Succession is coming out. It's coming out in October. I don't have mm-hmm. a guess or any inside information as to what day in October that's going to be. This happens in August. Every August, I feel like, is the same. Mm-hmm. You're like, how long could this month possibly go? There's no sports on. I feel unmoored. I feel like, you know, I, I, have, I have soccer on the weekends. But for the most part... You know, we've got Nine Perfect Strangers. The chair just came out. We're coming off of White Lotus. It's not like we've been in some kind of desert. Ted Lasso still on, although experiencing a little bit of an online backlash, I would note. But then you're going to wake up one day and it's going to be after Labor Day and then it all comes fast and, and furious at you. You know, like Netflix just announced that they have 42 movies hitting the surface between Jesus. now and the end of the year. Uh-huh. And we got a couple of, of, of pretty big shows coming in the f- coming weeks. So I thought I would just kind of throw them at you. I wanted to call this a temperature check. But I don't okay. know if, since we actually do have to do temperature checks at many places, I don't know if that's an appropriate term. So maybe just like, we're just doing an anticipation index here, right? Yeah, because our, our last year and a half has ruined that. Because usually like a hot temperature means like <laughs> I'm right. rushing in. Right. But at all dining establishments, a hot temperature means you, you cannot enter. Exactly. With good reason. So let's start with Succession, which we still have, you know, we got that one trailer. Mm-hmm. I, I think that this is... I, I actually had forgotten it's it's been it'll have been two years since season two was on. Isn't that unbelievable? It's it's crazy. But I, you know, outside of Curb Your Enthusiasm, can you think of many like shows that were in its prime that had this kind of delay? Well, I mean, I think we're going to I mean, Better Call Saul is going to have an even longer delay. right? Sure. I mean, I think that this sure. is the new normal. But to your point, I mean, I. The, the Sopranos. The Sopranos took a long break in the middle of its run because David Chase was like, "I need a, I, I, I need to reset." Okay. Um, before it came back for, I think, season six. I think there may have been two years elapsed between them, but that was by choice and because of the clout he had. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but but as we've said before, when talking about Succession, a weird convergence of events leads me to think that this has not harmed the show, and in fact, it has helped it. I agree with you. I, you know, it's, it's been funny. I don't know. Obviously we haven't really talked about Ted Lasso. You don't really watch Ted Lasso, but it has started to get like a little bit more of a, wait, are we sure this, this season is good commentary. And I think the last couple of episodes in particular have drawn the ire of some people. Mm. And I don't think that Ted Lasso for as sensationally popular as it was in its first season is on the same level of, uh, succession in terms of its, I don't know, at least critical acclaim, if not right. audience belovedness. But it did make me think for a second, like, is it possible that we could we could somehow find ourselves? Is it possible that we could ruin succession for ourselves? Oh, we can always ruin anything. Like, it's I mean, like a, there, could there be a backlash? Like, oh, it's just not as good or it's just not the same. I, I think that is very unlikely. I think that if anything, the desire for more succession just literally like a drug labeled succession to inject into our eyeballs is so high that no matter what Jesse Armstrong and his team deliver, it will be highly, highly rated and swooned over for at least two thirds of the season. If for some reason they didn't deliver, I think, yeah, the bottom will drop out in a, in a pretty intense way on the old Twitter box. But I, you know, I, the show is, such a smartly constructed machine. You know, yeah. I just I just don't see it. I, I, like, I honestly don't believe that at all. I was just trying to think of like something. What's the tension yeah. going into this new season of... Te- of, of the tension succession? is give me a new season. Yeah, That's exactly. It just dropped it on my fucking head. Like, I don't really care. Um, the, let's move on to some shows that we do have some questions about. And the first one that I wanted to talk about is Why the Last Man, which mm-hmm. unbelievably is coming out in a month after all of these delays, after all of these false starts, after all of these showrunner changes and casting changes and everything else. 
we finally are going to get to see this this show. Now, I I do think that I'm curious about the uh, collective appetite for dystopian and post-apocalyptic culture in a world yep. that feels increasingly dystopian and post-apocalyptic. Uh, and, oh, you know... Oh, Chris, I think we're still pre-apocalyptic. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I, I take your point. <laughs> but you just see what I'm saying. Like, I, It's I think coming. There yeah. are shows... I, th- I think there, is, there are times when, you know, it, it, those things can feel like allegories and there are some times when you're just like this is a little on the nose my guy you know for right mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. but um i want my, my my number one question about why the last man is do you think that it's finally being released pretty much puts the kibosh on my pitch for why colon the last main m-a-n-e about a guy mm-hmm. in the mid-2000s who's collecting all the gucci main mixtapes wow i you know, I've been a supporter of this project of yours ever since you pitched it to me in the back booth at Hi-Fi on the, in the East Village. And the fact that you're now just burning it. Yeah. Well, I mean, Landgraf just won't respond to me. That's a damn shame. Um, I, I, I am... Was this a big comic I, for you? Was this a big, uh, yes, big title was, for you? Yeah. I read, I read this comic uh, in monthlies when it came out. This is uh, the, the great writer Brian K. Vaughn's book with the artist Pia Guerra. Um, it is about a mysterious event that causes the death of all men in the world, save for one who is the protagonist of the, of the series. And I have to admit, you know, my appetite for a show with that logline at this moment is not super high. But so my interest is actually almost counterintuitive and it's a lot more, um, it's a lot more almost on the business end. Because hmm. a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about Reservation Dogs, a show which is still delightful, FX on Hulu, we were praising the FX development process and the space that they give their half-hour creators to kind of just vibe out, right? Like to just to trust them to make their vision, and that vision really uh, resonates. Whether it's Reservation Dogs or what we do in the shadows, or Dave or Atlanta is the obviously the, the biggest example of that. This is a test. You know, I, I, if we get to talk to Landgraf or Nick Grad or Eric Schreier, Gina Balian at FX, like I, I wonder if they would say this is one of the hardest uh, climbs they've ever done. Yeah. In that slam dunk, hot comic book property, they get it and then it's in development heck for years. I mean, it was going to be a movie, then it's a TV show, then it's at FX. And as you said, it was set up with an entirely different Did you say heck team. because you don't want to offend any demons who are listening My, to our show? At that moment, I remembered that I spent 10 minutes talking about Paw Patrol and City of Ghosts. And so I was like, I better walk back. Uh, I, just better, I just better check my language. It went very far down the line. Not long, It went further down than most shows. With they shot a pilot, right? They shot a pilot, a very expensive pilot, that I don't know this to be true, but from what I understand or what I've heard... Much of, if not all of that pilot was scrapped and, and Barry Keough was the was was, was the York, star. right? Yeah, right. There is a moment in the development process when a lot of people executives blink, right? This isn't worth it anymore. Like and smart executives are often the ones who are like, I'm not gonna throw good money after bad. Right. And it's time to just move on. They believed in this project, they believed in the new showrunner, they believed in the creative process to the degree that we're getting the show and Whatever it, whatever buzz one can get these days um, is good. It seems positive. I've heard yeah. positive things. So I'm pretty excited just to see what the show is with the knowledge that it briefly was many other things. I mean, I think that's just kind of fascinating. This, this, the the kind of de- tortured development process that we're describing is usually the kind of it, it's the type of thing that you usually hear about um, massive misfires in the movie theaters, right? Right where everyone wants to write the 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 postmortem, the obituary about it, like in all the ways it went wrong from the beginning that someone should have seen. A lot of the steps that we're talking about with Why the Last Man tick those boxes, and yet did they salvage it? That's fascinating. And I'm yeah, well, to we'll see. find out in a month. Um, some other ones that are coming in the in the coming weeks that I'm really curious about. Obviously, the morning show had its new trailer today. Uh, Andy and I, you know, th- I I made a couple of notes. When I watched this, and I thought mm-hmm. I was just coming out September seventeenth. I'm just going to read when you watch off the trailer, not when you watch the first season. I'm just going to read off what I wrote down when I was watching the trailer. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Crud up back or crude up back? Sorry. Margulies back on her Alicia Florrick bullshit. Will mm-hmm. Arnett on his Devin Banks bullshit. Carell locked up on a set somewhere in Burbank, just seething. 
quote, we're trying to get ahead of this coronavirus thing, close quote, and sweet birthday back, baby. <laughs> wow. So I, all those things they have going for it. They've got a, an expanded cast, inexplicably bringing Aniston back to the broadcast. They're going to get ahead of this coronavirus thing. So I imagine it's set, what, last last spring, right? If they're If they're trying to get ahead of coronavirus. Yeah, and then I assume they got ahead of it. That's right. Just like we did. <laughs> Great. Where's the drama, um, though? Do you think that for a show that you missed largely the first season of, will you are you going to dive back into this? Are you going to dive into the second season for Billy this, alone? For just this is, Billy? This is, this is a similar tone to when you asked me what I got up to on the weekend. Like no, I think you I, know the answer. I could see. L- l- why don't we do this? Yeah. At the ocean, there are two kinds of swimmers. <laughs> There's the person who's like, I need to just you know walk up up to my shins and then start splashing my shoulder shoulders with water right. to get used to the temperature and psychologically mm-hmm. prepared mm-hmm. for it. Then there's the guy who runs in from like back deep in the beach and just dives right into a wave. That's me. And that's what you're teaching Bryce how to <laughs> behave. I'm, I'm just yeah. like, we're going to read William Finnegan's barbarian years and fucking fight waves, brother. Uh, no, I'm going to do that for morning show. Like I have, I've, I've watched the first season. I'm going to dive right into the wave. I don't let you know how the water is. Okay. I love it. I love we gotta it. get Billy on the pod. Okay, so a couple, let's burn through a couple more of these. I haven't asked you about this yet. Okay. American Crime Story Impeachment, which comes, yes. I think, on September 7th, if I, if I remember my dates correctly. Here's my big takeaway from the abundance of trailers that they have released for this in the last three weeks. Really, like, quite a push. So I, mm-hmm, And I think mm-hmm. I'm starting to get the feeling like this is going to be a American Crime Story O.J. Simpson moment, where I think we're going to revisit a lot of the stuff from the Clinton impeachment, Monica, et cetera. But For I have sure. a question about all these trailers. We still haven't gotten a significant amount of time with Clive Owen as Bill Clinton, which leads me to believe they are either sitting on Marlon Brando in the Godfather level performance or a Marlon Brando in Dr. Moreau level performance. Like it's, it's going to be one or the other. That is definitely a take. And you may be right. <laughs> I choose to think about it slightly differently which is they have two things. One, it's very, very hard. I mean, presidential performances, especially in this era, are almost uniformly imitations, right? And it's distracting to be like, oh, he's just like Bill Clinton or whatever. Um, Or Edie Falco plays Hillary Clinton. Like, I think it was a smart move to minimize them in the trailer because immediately it becomes about, wow, Clive Owen's doing a great job being Bill Clinton. Sure. Um, and it's distracting from the show they want to tell. I think the second piece of it is, the, from my understanding of it, the reason to tell the story about something that, you know, obviously isn't fresh in a lot of people's minds, but I, I, for people of our age or generation, it certainly is. Is it for Sarah Paulson to win more awards? Well, <laughs> that's going to happen. But I think it's more to tell the story of the Monica Lewinsky and Linda Tripp and the people who were actually the prime movers of this that shook the firmament that the much larger figures were resting on in a way that, you know, the changes are the aperture, the way we're, we're considering the story. I think that like the Slow Burn podcast has done something similar. Um, our buddy Sam Esmail is producing a show called Gaslit right now that is a Watergate show. But I think is it's a similar thing where it's like, yes, you know the major players, but what you don't know is these little butterfly wings flapping yeah. that caused the the hurricane. So I think that that's interesting. And I, and I think in general, it just makes the show to me, so it's working, I guess I want to say, because I'm interested in this because it does appear to be coming at it from a different angle. Okay. Uh, and... The- and the cast is bananas. The cast is nuts. The cast is really good. It's Beanie Feldstein as, as Monica Lewinsky, Sarah Paulson as Linda Tripp, Margot Martindale, Billy Eichner as Matt Drudge. Yeah. Uh, Kobe Smulders as Ann Coulter. You got our buddy Colin Hanks in it. Fred Melamid, Mira Sorvino, Kathleen Turner. Yeah. Blair Underwood. What is even happening? <laughs> Can't wait. Last one, Scenes from a Marriage. I want to take your temperature here. I had one idea of how we could have made this more relatable for you. I feel like you're like resisting this. Do you think it would have been better if this had been about Jessica Chastain's Zero Dark Thirty character getting together with Oscar Isaac's Born Born Legacy character and like their kind of post-war on terror relation falling apart? Or is it either way? (laughs) Like you're out. 
Is that a sext? That's the hottest <laughs> thing you've ever said. Well, we can't that do it because, is... spoiler alert, I think Oscar Isaac's character dies in a drone strike in Born Legacy. Does he? Does he, though? <laughs> that's true. That could be, I mean, crazier things have happened. People could have lived through that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I would love that. I mean, you, you're, you're pretty fired up about this. Because the thing is that, Chris, what you love, and you've always been this way, you love actors. And yeah. you love a showcase for actors. You like, you're never happier than when you are inside of a black box theater watching two young, hungry Juilliard graduates get after it, right? Like that is just, that's what moves you. And I love this, craft, yeah. There is, there is, there is big, big MFA energy in the show for me. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it does seem like an intense thing. And I'm not sure if that's where my head's at. I'm not sure. <laughs> You're fucking, you're just in this city of ghosts with the Paw Patrol. This is, we all have different, by the way, if we're being really honest, City of Ghosts and Paw Patrol could also be subtitled scenes from a marriage. Like, it is all connected. So I'm just saying like, you know, open your mind here. Uh, well, we've talked about TV that's coming on soon. We're going to talk about a show that's already on. We'll, we'll get into the chair uh, right after this break. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. Three great words. Free fries Friday. Especially when they're used in that exact order. Get a free medium fries with $1 minimum purchase. Bell one time on Friday. Some participating McDonald's through 1231.24 excludes tax must update rewards. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations at Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. All right, Andy, we're back. Let's talk about The Chair, which uh, was released on Friday, a whopping three hours of content from this season. And I guess we I wanted to sort of start there before we got into the nuts and bolts of the show itself. It was co-created by Amanda Peet, uh, who uh, worked on, she wrote or co-wrote the first three episodes. It stars Sandra Oh and Jay Duplass uh, and Holland Taylor and Bob Balaban. It's a great ensemble cast. It's uh, set in a, I think, New England liberal arts university that is going through upheaval both on campus and behind the scenes in the English department where Sandra O's character uh, has just been named chair, the, the titular chair of, of the English department. And it's a lot of it is about, you know, making older literature relevant to today's students. A lot of it is about uh, some of the issues around freedom of speech and cancel culture, which at least if you read the internet is a constant you know, pressure point on campuses these days. And it's also just a really well-observed uh, family dramedy about Ji Yoon, who's the, the character Sandra Oh plays about her family. Um, so what jumped out at me, and it's it's not dissimilar to something that I've been thinking about Reservation Dogs, which I, I just watched the, the most recent batch of episodes um, that came out, is how for as revolutionary as some of the formatting can feel in terms of these 30-minute episodes and in terms of like a six-episode season or in the case of The Chair, 
some of the sometimes it's really interesting to look at all that and get kind of distracted by the time spent or your investment that's required for the show, but then still see the bones of old TV there. You know, mm-hmm. like still see the very solid ABC plotting and and you know the ways in which they spin off storylines, then sort of draw them all back together towards the end of the season, but almost make it episodic. And it's you could enjoy uh, an episode of The Chair in a vacuum and probably understand what's going on more or less. I mean, they they do a very good job. It almost feels like something that could have been made for a slightly progressive network, you know. Mm-hmm. And in a different era of American television. So I don't really know if if I have a question coming out of that, but I, for as much as I like the chair, I almost like saw like speaking of city of ghosts, like the other television shows it could have been while I was watching it. I understand that. And I think that you're exactly right to highlight the structure and the form because I I really enjoy the show. I've watched four out of the six looking forward to finishing it. Very, I've, I've watched the same. Yeah. Very, very pleasurable series. Funny, has a very smart, but I think appropriately delicate touch in dealing with quote-unquote hot-button issues. It is Mm -hmm. very much about this moment. But to your point, smartly, I don't know if it prioritizes, but it smartly emphasizes the family comedy. There's a lot of slapstick in it. You know, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of nice feelings related to characters who care about each other that all come from a TV 101 playbook. Um, I also think that it's canny awareness of the show that it's making, what other shows that it's pulling from. Uh, I think all of that works in a forward thinking way as well, which is to say there is a version of this. Absolutely. This could have been 15, 20 episodes first mm-hmm. season with as an ongoing show. Why not? A few years ago, it is being Build as, and we haven't finished the season, but it's being billed as a miniseries. Yeah. As if this is a one and done. And I think Sandra o found time to film it during her hiatus from Killing Eve, which is still her prime primary commitment in terms of series television. That's to the series' advantage. Because not just because of the escalating crises that um, Sandra O's character has to face feel, you know, stakesy, as much as a show set at a university could feel stakesy. It's that it does certain things with its characters that fast forward to them to the most interesting place without any fat. Specifically, and again, I think the show really hinges on not just the, the observational writing and, and, and the, the clever tone, and we should, we should credit the co-creator, Annie Julia Wyman, who uh, created the show with Amanda Peet, who comes from an academic background and probably brought some of her observations along the way. But the show really rests on Sandra Oh and Jay Duplass mm-hmm. are just giving wonderful performances. And one day, we've had Mark on podcast a bunch. I think Jay was only on once, but like, I got at, this guy was like, I'm not an actor until he turned 40. And now he's just a fantastic actor. Yeah. Who has that switch? But they have great chemistry and the show really, really rests on them. Did I ever tell all you about the time? Up, but all, I went- all that was built up just to say, sorry, Chris, that the romantic sparks and everything that's resting on these two characters in a long running show or a show with an eye for a long run would be so parceled out. You know, it would be crumb oh after crumb. Yeah. You would start show, with like Sandra O's oh's character waiting like she would not have the job yet. Then yes. maybe two two or three episodes in, she would get it. Then two or three later episodes, you would have the bill sort of fall from grace. I mean, everything but I that is- purely the romantic storyline. Like oh, yeah. at the end of the first episode, he's like, we should, let's be together. You yeah. know, like it, it's like, let's go. And that gives a charge to a show that I think it's an old fashioned charge. It's Sam and Diane on Cheers, but- putting that into the context of a, you know, something sort of genteel, a university tenure battles and comedy. I mean, it, it just gives it a charge that makes it feel a lot more compelling um, than it might otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I think that the entire show is uh, uh, more so than almost, than a lot of other series that I've seen recently is made or broken by those two leads. Like if you have someone yeah. who's a little bit more aggro or dare I say, traditionally masculine than Jay Duplass. Like I think some of the behavior in terms of the drinking and and the the gaffes that he has and and some of the inappropriate situations he finds himself in come off like a little bit different. You know, they come off a little like maybe this guy does deserve to get farmed out a little bit. And then yes. and then the same thing goes for oh, who's able to switch from 
incredibly touching dramatic moments to incredibly broad comic moments. And you don't even notice her touch the the stick shift. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, oh my now I'm now I'm on the verge of tears. Just a second ago I was laughing my ass off as her and Holland Taylor were stuck in like a basement office somewhere. So that kind of ability to transition between tone is, you know, you you really have to be you're in the 99th percentile when you can do that as a performer. It's really true. They they brilliantly cast two leads who are not comedic actors or dramatic actors. They're just performers. They're just actors. You know, there's no, all actors say that they approach the material the same, whether it's, you know, billed as a comedy or not. But I think that not all actors are capable of playing both sides of the human condition with the same level of emotional presence and truth. And like watching Sandra Oh do this, it's weird. I mean, she's always been incredible. Mm-hmm. And we loved the first season, season and a half of Killing Eve. But something about watching her in this has just made me really appreciate uh, her her talent. I, I'm not sure what it is about the show. Maybe it's, it's just a, maybe it's the fact that, um, I don't. It's it's a small marvel to me that the show works so well. You yeah, know, I mean, there's so also, many things that it could have tripped on, and it, I, I find it really light on its feet. The pleasures of this of this show, in some ways, are uh, kind of obvious. Like you'd be like, "Oh yeah, this is a cool portrait of two adults in crisis, sort of finding a little bit of solace with one another, and also while the world falls out down around them." Like that, th- that shouldn't be uh, an an out there concept for a TV show, but it increasingly is because usually like you need some sort of, you know, motivating mystery mm-hmm. or th- something to unpack from it. And then furthermore, like I, I just find that the setting to be awesome. I mean, I love campus comedy novels. I, I think I wish there were more shows or movies set in schools. I generally really enjoy them. I think they're really good canvas to to paint like behavior and to see people in like these particularly vulnerable positions often people are living pretty close together you see there's a lot of like pretty unforced interaction that i i really like and i personally miss from my own college days but yeah like at the the j school yeah at at j school and i'm just like there at first i spent the whole day down at the courts and then i go to the bar and i'm cracking peanuts and throwing them on the ground and Mm -hmm. you know guys are like would you get any scoops today college stuff um I, I agree with that, and I think that the other thing that made me happy about the show, just that it just it existing, um, Netflix doesn't feel like a natural home for it, um, you know. I, but happy that they took the chance. Um, in in my experience, on the other side of the ball, like there are certain areas, professions, or industries that people are just allergic to on the mm-hmm. development side. One is the art world. You know, if you like Velvet Buzz, I'll cover your ears. But like anything about art or artists, people run screaming from. How come? And I think it's, I, I, I think partially it's because it's difficult to satirize an industry or, or a field that is so rife with self-satire and is so preposterous at times. I think, but I think the bigger one is this feeling of, oh, no one's going to understand that. You know, the the middle America that we dream, that we're imagining, even if it's a made up middle America, doesn't care about gallery politics sure. or, you know, representational mixed media, whatever. Just I'm now just throwing word salads out, but like they don't care about that. So we're not going to steer towards it. And I think academia is a similar thing. Oh, that's too elitist. That's too highbrow. You're mentioning Hannah Arendt in the third episode. What are we doing? But I think the show is a nice corrective to that really, I think, kind of lazy knee-jerk thinking that yeah. if you imbue any world with characters with you know that have humor or heart or stakes, um, you can you can go you can jump into any universe and find something compelling. And I'm glad. Look, it, it's just it's underexplored because of it. I mean, I don't remember a, a sort of erudite college comedy since Wonder Boys, which was mostly about Michael Douglas getting mm-hmm. stoned, right? I mean, I, I don't know what the uh, dear white people is that at a college, so we got yeah. that. But I, I'm not saying that there should be a lot more. One percent of the one percent shows, with, you know, with, with, with tenure and syllabus jokes. But that's but, the kind of that's cool thing about this show is that like it's kind of shabby. You know what I mean? Like, yes, the teachers are aging. The stuff that they're teaching is under yeah, is is kind of like underappreciated at this point. Like, they're it's not like they're like dining out and just being like we're setting the tone for the intellectual discourse of the country. Yes. They're like nobody gives a shit what we have to say anymore. 
That's such a great point. And there's something about it that feels kind of as lived in as the corduroy jackets that David Morris is rocking as the dean, where like a lot of the show is about, yes, Sandro gets the job that she's coveted, but is basically, as she describes in the later episode, they handed me, they pulled a pin and handed me the grenade. Like this is the end of an English department and I have to clean up the mess of the older professors. And then it shows like what these tenured lions and, and lionesses in their fields who have spent, you know, multiple decades shaping young minds at the most elite, one of the more elite institutions, and they're getting paid like, you know, 87, it shows like $87,000 a year, which is great money. But also in the scheme of a TV universe where it's either like Succession or the Connors, like I kind of liked the, like I'm not saying this is blue collar. I just threw out a very large annual salary, but I, I, there's something about, the the way that it doesn't look up to these people they just they're just people yeah that I, appreciate. I, I mean my mom was a teacher i think like i just i kind of remember this yeah, this feels like too. a little bit more um more familiar to me that like rather than like some rock star professor who has a jaguar and is like you know basically malcolm gladwell and i think that these people are all like operating in the world where they're just like i don't have that that way to trick to get out like the only thing i have is tenure like the only thing i have is job security did you just back your way into a subtweet criticism of Mark Wahlberg and the Gambler? <laughs> he has an, he had another revenue stream. That Great guy. Point. Great uh, point. Let me ask you this: Did seeing uh, this show shot in Pittsburgh, I believe, uh, I'm yes, not sure Pittsburgh. if it was, it was shot at Carnegie Mellon or whatever, but it takes place at a fictional university called Pembroke, which I think, to me at least, seems Dartmouthy. Well, also. Not to, I mean, Pembroke is the name of the college that was the women's college that Brown, the Brown sister school. Oh, I didn't so know that. That was weird because like half the campus is called Pembroke. Like it, so I thought that was weird that they took an actual, no longer functioning university name, but one that still is like half of the Brown campus is the oh, Pembroke campus. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So, but I was wondering if this made you long for uh, Northeastern college winters because I know your boy, you do not like getting chilly but i was like no. all, all of the running around with boots and, and coats in the snow that i was like greenwald to hate this oh my god i hated it so much just to get to the dining hall to like have cereal what are we doing but I, that was the only thing that i bumped on not just because i personally detest winter and i'm thrilled with my decision to move to california it, it it's that the the show purports to be giving us the beginning of the school year the fall semester and it's already Ice, like tons of snow on the ground. Yeah. Deep powder. Yeah. Deep, deep powder, which is a very, it's not the direction I think climate change is taking our Septembers, but I do think that probably had to do more with actual, the, 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 the COVID scheduling of when they shot the show. I don't want to be a dick, but can I say something else that I bump my head on with the show? Okay. Yeah. What's up with the songs? Like, okay. There's nothing wrong with the music supervision. In fact, I love a lot of the music in the show like they play phoenix and they play the smiths and they play la tigra and but like from what pov are these songs being like delivered Hmm. now i I don't i don't mean to be like persnickety about it but like is this supposed to be like the music that jiyun likes or the that bill likes or is this just songs that amanda pete likes because they don't really have any obvious relationship like when they're chasing uh Juju, the daughter, around and Latigra is playing. Like, I don't think that that I don't think Decepticon is related to the I, action we're seeing. It does put uh, the chair in the same musical cinematic universe as the Pursuit of Love and Briar Pat, <laughs> who just have all of us have kept Kathleen Hanna's pockets fat over the last <laughs> two years. But what do you think that of song. that? I think the, the the needle drop that plays with the opening title card is Vampire Weekend, and that's perfect. I mean right. that that song is 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 a you know that whole vibe is just Columbia core right it's it's Ivy League the sound of the Ivy League that's the whole point of it I think the to your other question it, it's a great question one that isn't asked enough with music supervision I do feel like it's just songs Amanda Pete likes sure and it is if they weren't also songs that I like I would yeah, probably bump I'm on. not I was I wasn't trying to be like get this Morgan Wallen off my show. You know what I mean? Like I don't think that there's anything objectionable about about the songs that are chosen. But sometimes I'm just I I, I felt not to fluff you up, I thought that the Briar Patch music oh. was always very uh intentional. You know what I mean? Like either it did something for the pace, it did something with the emotional colors of the show, it did something to 
direct kind of like the view, the audience attention to something. Um, but this, I'm just kind of like, okay, like you guys just, I mean, and I'm also just like, did you just, how much did it cost to get that Smith I mean, song? The, obviously, choosing the songs was one of the best parts of making a TV show and one of the things I was most excited about and had the most fun doing and the most proud of. But I'll say, and I don't know if we talked about this during the during that period, but one of the biggest arguments that Sam Esmail and I ever had was a needle drop that I was considering for the second episode, which was a popular indie rock song or a, a beloved indie rock song. Mm -hmm. And I loved the song and I wanted to use it. And I loved the way the rhythm matched what Rosario was doing in the scene. And Sam was adamant that we not use that song. And he was very supportive, very rarely put his foot down about anything. But his point was the song is too well known and it will take people out of the world. Okay. And I was wrong, but I fought him really hard on it. Ultimately, I found something I feel like a Dick Dale instrumental or something that worked so much better. And it taught me a really important lesson that I was not open to hearing at the time, which was the so you have to love the song for the scene. And it has to service the scene and surprise people. It, it doesn't help anyone if, if it's calling attention to itself. You know what I mean? I'm surprised you didn't use any songs from uh, Gucci Mane's Mr. Zone 6. I was saving all of that for you. I mean, the, what was that thing like after the Trump press conference where the guy was like, I worked on this story for months and he just tweeted, tweeted it, it out? out like, yeah. As far as I, I you know, the, like the wheels I've been greasing for you to like have more meetings to shop this Gucci project around town. And Gucci. now you're just, get, you're just giving it away. I know. Gucci America. When, do people, we should, Kaya, I'm sorry, we have to be honest about this and tell people that when we talked about the House of Gucci trailer, Chris also tried <laughs> to spoil his Gucci main show and we convinced him to edit it out. And now, all right. Do you remember when Gucci Mane just had a mixtape called Buy My Album? <laughs> genius. We didn't know what Great. we had. Well, that brings us to the end of another Watch Podcast. Uh, <laughs> what a we were journey. Produced, as always, by Kaya McMullen. And we will be back on Thursday. It was great talking to you, Andy. Special guest on Thursday. Yeah. That, that I, I spoke to. Okay. So it'll be new, it'll be new to you. <laughs> I was like, really? Yeah, no, I did it. I booked it. Gucci? Is he coming? <laughs> he and I are doing an intervention. You did not actually get the life No, you're doing, you're doing the Young Jeezy pod. I'm doing the Gucci pod. And then we're oh, going to have a, a versus. Uh, so icy. Great seeing you, man. I will talk to you on Thursday.